0: You are listening to the Choose Your Struggle Podcast, a member of the Shameless Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Choose Your Struggle Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Schiffman. On this show, I interview people with lived and learned experiences on the subjects of mental health, substance misuse and recovery, and drug use and policy. But occasionally, we talk about other topics as well. On this week's show, I interview author and activist Larry D. Mass. But first, Kid Mental, let's go. Things ain't always gonna go our way But you can always win when you just struggle And some battles are for yesterday But today is for a new beginning You just struggle And don't worry about what they say you can always win when you just struggle And you can bounce back yesterday Come on and listen in to You just struggle Choose just struggle You just Hello, and welcome back to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. It's great to be back with you all. Before we get into this week's show, a couple of announcements. The first, if you are following on social media, then you saw this. If you didn't, or if you aren't, uh, very exciting news. A couple months ago, I nominated uh, my wonderful wife, Lauren, and Sarah Laurel from Savage Sisters for... The Metro Philly Power Woman list, uh, which is 75 women from across uh, Pennsylvania, not just Philadelphia, who are change makers, who are doing awesome things in the community. And both were accepted. Both were uh, accepted is the wrong word. Both <laughs> made the cut. Um, and, and you can find that on social media. It's all over. Uh, really, really proud of both Sarah and Lauren for uh, for what they're doing. And, and clearly, I'm not the only one. I mean, this is, you know, <laughs> there are millions of, of women in this in this town and, and across uh, Pennsylvania. I'm sure they considered hundreds, if not thousands of people. And it's really cool that both of them made it. So um, just a huge props to Sarah and to Lauren for all you're doing and for making that list. And speaking of Metro, uh, they are the ones that are doing the Best of Philly competition. You can find a link in the show notes to vote for both Savage and myself in different categories. Um, all of that instruction is in the show notes. Uh, please vote. It would mean a lot to me. Uh also big news is that it is that time again for the birthday fundraiser. Now we're doing something a little different this year. Uh we last or 2 years ago we raised uh, about $12,000 for Drug Policy Alliance, which is amazing. Last summer we raised about 8,000 for Savage, which is also amazing. And this summer we're doing something a little different. So on August 18th Savage is hosting its first uh sort of quote unquote gala event. It's more of a party than a gala, but uh the goal is of this event, which is called the Worth Saving fundraiser, is uh it's a party at the Watts uh which is a warehouse uh, sort of event space in, here in Philly. Um, they are raising money to support the outreach efforts. Uh, the goal is $30,000 and, and that money goes towards medical supplies, syringes, HIV testing, food, toiletries, all the stuff that we, we give out when we do uh, fundraising. So here's how you can help. If you're in Philly, you can buy a ticket. Obviously, that's that's the easiest thing to do. Also, The the specific fundraiser, what we're trying to do here is each board member, of course, which I I am a member of this amazing board, has been tasked with finding three sponsorships uh, for this event. And the sponsorship levels are $1,000, $3,000, and $5,000 dollars uh choose your struggle is going to do one so we are looking for two other sponsors willing to jump on and you're going to get some stuff in return you're going to get some tickets to the event you're going to get a bunch of um uh, uh brand awareness obviously it's going to be all over everything um and, and and you know quite frankly you know and Sarah would say this if she was here you know at this point this money is so needed and so important that if you're like you know, I want uh, a Narcan training in exchange, or I want, uh, you know, whatever, um, we obviously will happily do that show. I'll come out. I'll train y'all. I'll I'll bring Sarah with me, right? Um. So reach out. That's, that's what I'm asking this year for the fundraiser. If you're interested in a 1,000, 3,000, or 5,000 sponsorship uh, level for this event for Savage, the worst saving fundraiser, uh, reach out um and we will chat i will give you all the information on how to make your payment and what we're going to get you in return um but but y- you need to reach out you got to talk to me we'll, we'll work this out so if you're interested please email me at J a y s h i f m a n j a y s h i f m a n.com you can also go to either jshiftman.com or chooseyourstruggle.com and click the contact me page um this information's all in the show notes uh but but please reach out it would mean a lot to me it would mean a lot to savage um if we can get some sponsorship from you to make this event happen because uh 30,000 it, it's not really that much it really isn't but it means the world to this work so please reach out All right, this week's episode is a conversation with an absolute legend. His name is Larry D. Mass, and if some of you know that name, it's because he is pretty famous in the advocacy world. He's been a writer and an advocate around mostly uh, issues, including um, HIV and uh, the AIDS epidemic. Uh, He's been a gay activist for decades, uh, an activist for the Jewish community he is credited as writing the first report on what eventually became known as aids it wasn't even known as aids at that time it was he was the first one to to write about this back in early 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 80s maybe it might have even been 79 um he is just one of those guys where you go yes i, I like does it exactly fit this shows um the topics of the show no it doesn't i don't care when I had someone reach out and say Larry would be interested to coming on coming on your show, I said, "Exact, yes, now today, let's make this happen." So um, we did have uh, some connectivity issues, uh, and you'll hear it on this interview. At times, it might sound a little disjointed. You're like, "Wait, where did that answer come from?" It's because we had to stop in the middle and reconnect and then I had to just kind of go pick it up from where you were. So if you're like, wait, where did that answer come from? Or it seems like a weird jump from this to that. It means we had to cut something out. Um, I I can tell you, uh, that even with the sound issues, even with the connectivity issues, this is still an incredible conversation. Uh, at one point, a phone rings in the background. I mean, we were working with what we had here to make this happen. Uh, but it was so incredible to get to chat with Larry. I will give you a heads up. Uh, this show is always explicit, but I, I I never give the heads up except for in, in the moments of sexually explicit uh, topics, because I know some of you do listen with your kids. And talking about um you know saying bad words is is one thing but actually talking about some of these topics uh explicitly is another so there is sexually explicit conversations in this uh mostly obviously talking about aids uh, but without further ado please enjoy this conversation with the incredible larry d mass thank you for supporting the show Here at Choose Your Struggle, we rely on all of y'all to help us end stigma and promote honest and fact-based education around mental health, substance misuse and recovery, and drug use and policy. And there's so many ways to engage with our work, from our podcast to our storytelling events to bringing me in to speak to your company, your school, or your organization. You can also support us on Patreon for as little as $3.40 a month. And we're so appreciative. This work is grueling at times, and your support goes a long way to helping us keep going. So find us at ChooseYourStruggle.com and find me at jshiffman.com. And thank you, thank you for being a part of the Choose Your Struggle family. Choose Your Struggle. If you're liking the show, please consider leaving us a review. If you're listening on Apple, you can leave a review right on your player. For everybody else, check out the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. It is my absolute honor to introduce a guest today that is going to talk about a topic that I am not covered on this show, and that is uh, the HIV... Tragedy in the in the early uh, well eighties and nineties, and, and also just the, the 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 fantastic and really interesting history of the gay community here in the United States. But not only that is is, is uh, my my guest today, Larry Mass, has such a rich history in the work that he's done in this country, and and uh, the just fantastic I- impact he's had on the American landscape. So without further ado, Larry, thank you so much for being here.
1: Well, thank you, Jay. Um... I'm really honored and very, very pleased. I I have a very strong uh, feeling of identification with you uh, in terms of your story, uh, because I think there's a lot of similarities with my own story.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. What we can start right there is that we do have a lot of of crossover because you've led a very rich and interesting life that I I think it's not too forward to say has been marked by some trauma. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, yes, yes. And I think that you know, I mean, I was reading about your history with bipolar illness and you know your, your struggle with uh, struggles with, with drug use and, um, and then entering in recovery. And that's kind of my own tra- trajectory. I uh, basically was uh, rather overwhelmed in my life by the fact that I always was interested in a lot of different things. And I had different identities. I wore different hats, and I just didn't know how to put it all together and and make it work, and uh, eventually became overwhelmed. I was uh, born and raised uh, Jewish and queer in Macon, Georgia, in the mid uh, 1940s, in 1946. I'm 75, I'm very sure to be 76. And uh, you know uh growing up with these two minority identities uh one of which uh, was surrounded by hostility that of being jewish even though there was actually a community there and um you know the other one was not even uh, there was no basis for any understanding of who we were and how we were as being gay and um that was something that just was not discussed uh uh publicly at all and um so uh, that was something i had to struggle with uh, like like all gay people of the, of those times in complete isolation um and then you know uh eventually i kind of uh you know made it through bumbled along and um i uh i found that i i had two callings uh i wanted to be a physician i wanted to work in medicine and healthcare. i was particularly attracted to Issues of mental health, I didn't quite know how that was gonna play out. And uh, the other thing was writing. Eventually ended up with a major depressive episode. Uh, this was uh, in the first couple of years of, of the AIDS, uh, what became the AIDS epidemic. Um, you know, I uh, I ended up in uh, the flight deck at St. Vincent's Hospital here uh, with a major depressive episode and um, you know, I saw it then as a kind of existential crisis. I just could not put all these different things in my life together in a way that, that made them work. When I, I said that I came to New York and um, the, the, the work that I found, uh, the niche that I found for myself was in the fledgling world of addiction medicine. Addiction medicine is, was not, it ha- didn't have that name. It didn't have a specialty status in those days um that's a it's it's a very young field still it's uh, now it's under the auspices of preventive health and uh you know uh, uh, this world of addicts and addiction was very marginally acknowledged and treated on the fringes of healthcare there were not really adequate uh recognition of addiction as a, a, a as a big area of, of interest and and, and need and concern. Uh, during that time, I mean, psychiatry kind of reluctantly assumed the mantle of dealing with addiction. It never was very good at it, it never liked it. And um, so there was this real need for uh, the, the whole field to evolve, which is what's happening. I, 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 was, I was in the first group of physicians eventually to become, uh, get my board certification such as it existed then, uh, the American Society of Addiction Medicine. And, um, but basically what I was doing was what what I called community medicine, dealing with very marginal people who did not have adequate health care and who, you know, didn't know where to go or what to do. And we didn't really have resources for them. And uh, I myself was uh, spiraling into my own uh, problems with addiction, primarily alcohol and marijuana. And um, so I found myself practicing community medicine, as I called it, uh, dealing with addicts, prostitutes, uh, the gay community. The gay community was, was actually a little bit uh, like the drug addict community, they had no uh resources they had no recognition no civil liberties they were illegal and we were illegal at multiple levels so it was just a big uh, stew of ingredients and um, that found me in the spring of 1983 on the flight deck at St Vincent's Hospital
0: you're you moved to New York for for the medical opportunity but was the was the opportunity to That's be around That's not why I,
1: I, I didn't move it move somewhere Oh much. so then so oh. tell me about it. I moved to New York primarily because I felt a great much with New York than with Boston. Um in terms of trying to be live an openly gay life, and there were certainly gay people in a gay community in Boston. But Boston is a it's a very distinguished, remarkable city with you know all kinds of attributes and a, an extraordinary a singular history and, uh, of, of liberalism and all these wonderful things. But it is also a kind of uh, it's a small provincial, Town compared to New York, and um, it 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 there was in terms of being gay there. It was uh, I I've described it in my book as uh, grim and homophobic. It was you know I think you know a lot of gay people in in that time and place, if they had their choice, if they had the option, they would gravitate preferentially to New York or San Francisco or. Places where gay life was most evolved, so that was a big, a big factor for me. Um, that was the main. I, I, I really felt at home in New York in a way that uh, you know it just was not going to happen in Boston. No, it never did, and it wouldn't. So that
0: was your 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 decision to move to New York, and and I know that from reading uh, your work and in your bio, you did quickly develop a pretty strong community there. Is that right?
1: There was a, a a strong, still fledgling activist community that I wanted to be part of. They had a couple of uh, significant publications that I got involved with right away. I already uh, had, um, you know, I already wanted to be involved in the gay movement. Uh, I wanted to write. I wanted to be an activist. My very first piece that I published was a big piece that I ended up uh, in gay community news in Boston. So, I mean, a lot of a lot of this work, groundwork was done during my years of medical training and living in Boston. Um, once I got to New York, then I really wanted to uh, move forward with all this, and I did. And I found myself writing for this fledgling gay newspaper uh, called The New York Native. It was just a, a group of us who put this thing together. And... Um, I found myself writing about cultural issues, about psychiatry, about sex research, about film, about music and opera, and health. Uh, I was very interested in gay health issues. Uh, you know, they were, uh, STD rates were off the charts in, in, in gay men. And, um, you know, uh, there was a lot of stigma around that, a lot of ignorance. And I found myself writing about gay health. And um, no physician actually, I, I think again, I uh, they're, they're physicians had written articles uh, occasionally here and there uh, as, and they were openly gay physicians, but no one had ever written on a regular basis, no gay physician had ever written on a regular basis in the press. So I found myself doing that and very shortly so this is 1979-80 the first report started coming in of the epidemic that would uh, year and a half later become known as aids and i found myself doing this initial reporting and being initially involved and uh fairly quickly i became uh involved in the in the uh, service and activist initiatives around aids I became one of the co-founders of gay Men's health crisis, which uh, was the you know was the first and remains in many ways the premier AIDS information and service organization. A lot of this was uh, the the AIDS work especially, but also my cultural work, my literary work uh, my work as a writer uh, was very much under the influence of uh, one of my friends in New York who I had met several years earlier through a network of uh, gay friends larry kramer the great gay as uh, an aids activist and I, I you know he and i came very close and uh, you know we worked together in this early period on aids and uh, gay men's health crisis so it was quite a whirlwind and uh, you know i wrote something like 23 articles for the gay press on the epidemic as it was unfolding and uh, i had a lot of involvement with gmhc and then um, Ended up, as I say, on the flight deck at St. Vincent's. Um, there's a character based on me in Larry's play, The Normal Heart. It's a composite character. It's not really me. It's not, you know, the, uh, he's not a physician, you know, but he ends up on the flight deck at St. Vincent's, <laughs> just like I did.
0: I think, you know, right now, especially in my community, the harm reduction community, you know, Larry Kramer's name is is known Um for a lot of his work and i know that you have uh you you worked with him as as during this period he went on to start act up and and all of that right and and you wrote a a book on on larry kramer right or you compiled a book would be a better way to say it
1: yes yes i it's a book called we must love one another or die the life and legacies of larry kramer and um, it's uh, got, you know, biographical pieces on him, but a lot of uh, literary pieces and medical and health pieces. Uh, it's got a whole range of input from a wide variety of uh, persons of interest. There's a piece in there by Anthony Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who had a long, complicated, very fraught relationship with Larry and ACT UP and the rest of us. and. I think in there, as he has otherwise done publicly, he refers to um, the history of healthcare in in, um, in America as before Larry and after Larry. <laughs> Larry cut a huge swath and the achievements of him and ACT UP can only be de- in terms of their, their impact on health and healthcare can only be described as monumental uh, you know you couldn't begin to say how extraordinary uh this influence was and, and how um, you know i mean just at the very simple level you know that aids is now became a treatable disease with these antivirals well there had never been uh, antiviral treatment prior to that there was uh, acyclovir for um, herpes uh, that was kind of chronic treatment. And there was some, um, you know, there were vaccines for things like polio, but there had never been a successful treatment for an otherwise fatal illness caused by a virus. This is as monumental as monumental gets. And that, all that happened as a result of all this input and involvement and activism from ACT UP and, uh, under Larry's leadership. Of course, there were many, many people involved, and you know there was a lot of, that that uh, you know went into that mix. but and uh, and biomedical pharmaceutical research, you know was you know, had been evolving, and this brought it all to a head. so but still, uh, Larry and act up deserve this level of uh, acknowledgement for what they did. and there never was anything like act up. I mean it, it, do you know of any sort of major healthcare activist initiatives that ever took place? I mean, there were there were lobbyists, there were some protesters, there was litigation, things like that, but not a major movement for healthcare access and progress and all that. It's completely unprecedented. And,
0: and and I would love to know just just from your your memory, when you were early on reporting on on what would become AIDS, uh, the AIDS epidemic, I should say, and and then seeing, you know, and participating in this sort of, um, uh, you know, protest movement really was isn't really the full personification of what it is. But where what did this feel like as you saw people that you knew and loved and cared about dying uh, for uh, during an epidemic that, quite frankly, early on? Uh, too many people simply did not care about.
1: Well, that's an understatement, yeah. I mean, it was a, you know, we had no civil liberties protections of any kind. We we had no, uh, gay marriage was like science fiction. I mean, I, I would never have dreamed in a million years that such a thing would happen. Any more than, you know, you might have been told, you know, 40, 50 years ago, someday we're going to have a black president. It's just not something you could Imagine from the way the way things were, so it was a it was a total crisis, and um, you know uh, it's just amazing that you know uh, things were able to evolve as they did. Uh, I wouldn't call it a happy ending, but uh, you know, uh, huge development. So you know what so, what. Yeah.
0: What was it like? And and maybe you can tell me that this wasn't the case. But I have to imagine there was some fear on your end that that this was something that you could contract, right? I mean, there was so little knowledge. about it. Oh,
1: absolutely. It. We didn't. We yeah, we didn't know for sure that it was a single agent sexually transmitted disease. A whole business about a lot of different theories of uh, you know uh, what the causes. The cause HIV was not fully established until late 1983, so it was three to four years already into the epidemic before the cause was was certain. So that meant that all of those who, all of us who were sexually active, um, had been at risk. We'd all, all, uh, virtually all of us, had had you know some high risk activity and so it was sort of a, a a luck the throw of the dice the luck you know uh, as to who got it and who didn't i uh it was you know i lived with that anxiety and uncertainty for six years before testing became routinely available and i was just amazed to learn that i was negative and uh, i mean i i know that i had sex with many uh, people in high-risk situations and um you know, I didn't, I, at that, during that period, I was, no, for whatever reason of my own progress as a gay man and, you know, uh, my own kind of change over time, I was not having receptive anal and unprotected receptive anal intercourse. I was not getting fucked very often. Uh, I was kind of like in the opposite role, which is also moderate risk—not highest risk, but moderate risk of unprotected, insertive intercourse fucking. So um, that could have been a factor, uh, and that was just—you know—it wasn't. Uh, it just the way things were. Were the way I was. I was, and I was changing. It was not like a. A deliberate change of sexual behaviors in the interests of safer sex—that's something that would that would uh, become more uh, clear as as, as as a strategy for everybody over time, but uh, not initially, because we we just didn't know. There was a lot of uncertainty about about whether it was a single agent or whether it was multiple agents or other factors. A lot of things had to be ruled out. So this business of the cause of AIDS is kind of a serious issue uh, in the history of AIDS and um, it ended in this catastrophe. But, uh, so you, you don't hear too much from denialists now. They're still out there. There are still people you could find who is that whole HIV single Asian business was just a a, a hoax, you know, a kind of government thing.
0: That's fascinating. I did not know about that. Uh, But before we continue this conversation, if you wouldn't mind pausing and shouting out where people can find you online, where they can buy your books, all that kind of stuff.
1: My name is Lawrence D. Mass, Dr. Lawrence D. Mass, MD, or Dr. Larry Mass or Dr. Lawrence D. Mass, whatever. It's got, you know, if you go online and put those things in, a number of things will come up. Maybe the easiest way to sort of get an overview of me in the current period is via my website, which is still under construction, lawrencedmass.com.
0: Hey y'all, it's Jay, your host. I'm so excited to tell you about my merch partner, TeePublic. TeePublic is the best site for independent creators, and it's why you can find all of Choose Your Struggles merch on their site. Look, I know I do a lot of things well. I create and host this show. I run this company. But one thing I'm not good at is graphic design. But that's okay, because TeePublic's design tool is so easy to use that even guys like me can use it to success. In fact, it's so easy to use that I've uploaded designs that have nothing to do with Choose Your Struggle just because I want to see them on t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, masks, and so much more. Right now, if you check out my TeePublic site, you can find designs from choose your struggle presents made it season one stay savage choose your struggle anti-stigma campaigns and more so to find all of my merch go to chooseyourstruggle.com and click on the shop page which will take you to my t public store and t public thank you for making it so damn easy support us on patreon check us out at patreon.com chooseyourstruggle choose your struggle or at the link in your show
1: notes Ronald Reagan had a press spokesperson uh, speaks, Ron speaks, Rob speaks. I can't remember, um, and you know, uh, and th- it was six years into the AIDS epidemic before uh, uh, Reagan mentioned the word AIDS. He was, um, uh, it, it, it didn't happen until Rock Hudson. The big, the big change in in communicating with the public came when Rock Hudson, it was it finally was publicly released that he had AIDS. And not until the very, very end uh, did he allow that to be made public. See, in those days, if you if you said somebody's gay or somebody has AIDS, you could get, you know, seriously sued and you know uh, prosecuted for libel. You couldn't. I mean, even Larry, who was, you know, really going after uh, Ed Koch and, and Ronald Reagan tooth and nail, was uh, the, the 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 characters in his play, uh, The Normal Heart, are are fictionalized. They're fictionalized names, and um, you know, you 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 still couldn't really say, well, this one is just a, a a lying closet case. This one is, you know, like like Ed Koch and and all this kind of stuff. So. Anyway, so this, this, if you you can, Rob, sp- Governor Regan, Rob Speaks, or Ron Speaks press conference, you should key into that. So th- this was the first press conference that Regan and his staff ever held on AIDS. And they spent the whole time laughing at these emaciated sort of Auschwitz skeleton gay men who were coming to testify that they needed help. And that they were dying, and that they hoped more would be done about AIDS. They were being laughed at. You can hear the laughter. Go online and, and get pick out this press conference. There's, you know, there was like a, a joke. You know, these these gay men. The joke was that at multiple levels. Joke was like, who are these people who are fucking themselves like crazy, fucking themselves to death, who totally deserved what happened to them? You know, that's the only way it can be. Conceived. They're coming to us now for help, and I mean, the uh, the the extent of the homophobia that was, you know, routine and ubiquitous that we had to live with—it's very very difficult to imagine. But but that little press conference is something that will give you a a sense of
0: it. So what you you have had a lot of impact in, in in you know the gay community but you've also written extensively on Jewish matters which I found fascinating especially around uh, Wagner which was you know a really interesting topic what what was it that made you <laughs> interested in writing about Wagner
1: Well I was an opera person you know that was kind of my entree into you know, in the, in the gay world, maybe most people have some, their entry into adulthood occurs via various venues of little collectives of friends or individuals or maybe theater or movies or sports or something like that. In the gay world, uh, one of the ways of kind of finding society in gay life was via the opera world. I was totally smitten. There are a lot of gay people in opera that are, you know, opera people, opera queens. Um, You know, and I I was one of them. I loved everything about opera. I loved all the different composers. I loved, you know, it it really was, you know, in, in many ways, the great love of my life. Within that, there was another great love of my life who I thought of as that, which was composer Richard Wagner. I mean, Wagner is widely acknowledged to be one of the greatest composers who ever lived. That's that's not uh that's not, you know, every, everybody accepts that. He was a very, very great composer. And the experience of, I mean, there, there there's humor around Wagner being lengthy and ponderous and you know, kind of overblown and all of that. But I mean, otherwise, regard for Wagner's greatness as a composer is pretty much universal. Well, I didn't, uh, you know, and I just accepted that. I mean, we we knew about Hitler and Nazism. and we knew about that Wagner was an anti-Semite. But, you know, every th- 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 these are problems that plague a lot of famous people in the past. There's a lot of anti-Semitism among other composers, and you know, I mean, so basically, what when I was Came of age in the world of opera, there was a kind of understanding about Wagner that basically everybody endorsed. Bad man, great art, and everybody endorsed that and dealt with Wagner on that basis. So I didn't feel like alone. I mean, it, uh, nobody was ha- liked his anti-Semitism. Nobody liked the fact that that he was embraced uh, as as no one ever has been before by by a leading uh, dictator, and autocrat, Hitler, and, and the Wagner family. This is all horrible stuff, but everybody seemed to acknowledge that. So, I don't know, I just didn't really, uh, I just went, went along with my love for Wagner. I mean, I, I you know, but I, I was, you know, from my upbringing, I think I had really repressed my Jewishness. I did an enormous amount of work coming to grips with being gay, only to discover at the end of that that I had never done comparable work with being Jewish, that that identity was just totally relegated. So, um, what happened was uh, in that period when I moved to New York and I got involved with these activists in the gay community, I met this other gay Jewish writer, Arnie Kantrowitz. Arnie Kantrowitz is widely recognized as a legendary pioneer of gay liberation he's a he's he's just a wonderful special person he's his he died recently in January there's a lot of press on him um you know uh we were together 40 years but when I first met him um I I brought him back to the apartment and there were five pictures of Wagner on my living room wall he had a terrific Jewish stand-up comic sense of humor he hadn't he didn't hate anybody, had no real malice towards anybody, including Wagner. He liked Wagner, every, who doesn't like certain Wagner music and tunes and, you know, they had no no special. But he saw these five pictures of Wagner along and said, he said, wow, he said, why don't you add another one of Anita Bryant eating an orange? basically what he was just observing as a kind of self-conscious jewish person he wasn't he wasn't religious he wasn't you know well he was just observing that there was a it seemed a little odd for somebody who you know for a jewish person to so embrace this you know ferocious anti-semite you could understand like liking the music and and all of that but you know five pictures of this person on the living room wall what what is that you know that at that At that very moment, I was falling in love with Arnie. And um, that facilitated an ability of me to kind of perceive things that I had never perceived before. I had never been in love or really deeply loved another Jew. That was something that was, uh, you never had a Jewish lover and That was a, uh, my first lover was a priest. (laughs) Um, uh, So, you know, I, um, falling in love with Arnie opened my eyes to um, sort of the whole, the whole world of Jews and Jewishness and gave me an awareness and a consciousness of myself and other Jews and and Jewishness in the world that I had never had before. It was it was the full equivalent of trying to come out as gay. You know, where you start out from this place of a lot of self hatred, a lot of ignorance, a lot of fear, a lot of, you know. Uh, 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 confusion and you start to take steps to come to grips with who you really are and how people see you and how to navigate in the world. And that's what I learned to do, uh, you know, with uh, via my relationship with Arnie. And so I'm, I'm an intellectual and my interest in opera was always rather deep Uh, I always had uh, complex interests in in cultural things. And, um, you know, I still kind of was a Wagnerite, but I would go there with this new consciousness and awareness. I would go to performances and operas and I would observe other Wagnerites and opera people and read reviews and read books. And I realized that this phenomenon of a kind of, suppression of self, of what I'm calling Jewish internalized anti-Semitism, was something that you actually see a lot of uh, out there. It, just as gay people can be self-hating, or, you know, anybody from any minority Blacks could be self-hating because they've internalized. This is definitely the case with Jews, and that's still very much an ongoing issue. We can be self-hating and self-negating in ways that you know, it's it, it, we don't even think about this, and I had a window on this in the world of opera, and I've been writing about it for you know forty years.
0: Really interesting. I hope uh, that someone, someone listening, goes and checks out that that work. Before we end, what's your next project? What should we keep an eye out for?
1: Um. Well, the main thing I'm doing, uh, Arnie, Arnie passed away in uh, in January, and our papers are collected by the New York Public Library. So, over the I'm I'm going to be 76 in a, in a few weeks. Um, so, a lot of what I'm doing is kind of um, organizing our papers, our memorabilia uh, for placement in various uh, institutions. I don't have a new major writing project. Most of the, most of the things around my writing that I'm doing are uh, around this uh, recent book, the sequel to Confession of a Jewish Wagner on the future of Wagnerism. And I will do podcasts, I'll do interviews, I'll do, you know, uh, uh, whatever I can to promote this work.
0: Well, I'm sorry for, for your loss. Uh, it sounds like you had a wonderful relationship for a long time.
1: Thank you, Jay. Yes, indeed. And,
0: and before we wrap up, if you wouldn't mind one more time telling people where they can find you online, where they can check out your books, all that kind of stuff.
1: Okay. So the, the best thing, you know, I've written five books and it, it, there's all this stuff is on my website, lawrencedmass.com.
0: So we always finish with the same two questions, the first of which is, you know, you do so much incredible writing and activism, but what do you do for self-care? What works for you?
1: <laughs> well, it used to be uh, sex and food. Uh, so I, those, I'm in four different fellowships and I do a lot of work around both of those. So... um a lot, I, I would say that it increasingly became about doing service and about just living life in the real world and doing ordinary things. And, um, you know, I, 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 I go to the gym, I, um, but I basically, despite myself and against my, my uh, hard wiring, I am uh, becoming uh, ever more a good person.
0: what a great answer thank you uh so the final question we always finish with is we spent the 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 last you know almost hour hearing why you're amazing why we should check out all of your written work and all that but this is your chance to shout out some people that you follow and other people that we may not be aware of that you really appreciate
1: Woo! boy that's a tough one um well I'm a big champion of Larry Kramer. I wrote that book. And I would urge people, it's a daunting project. It's off-putting in a lot of ways. But I, I wish more people would read this massive two-volume collection of his, The American People, which is uh, uh, has it's just filled with important and good stuff. Um, and I wish, uh, you know, in terms of the worlds of culture and music and opera um, and Wagner, I, ho- <laughs> I hope that more people will read not only me, but uh, within that, uh, one, one of the people that I got uh, that I've had a, a, a very lengthy correspondence with and friendship with is Gottfried Wagner. He's the great grandson of Richard Wagner, the composer, and he is. Uh, very, we're very much on the same page about Wagner and Wagner's men. We're both outcasts and pariahs from the world, the mainstream world of opera and music and Bar- Wagner.
0: Well, wonderful answers. It has been an absolute pleasure getting to meet you and hear from you and learn from you, Larry. Thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Thank you, Jay. It's a wonderful show. It's a real pleasure to meet you. I'm just thrilled and honored to be here. Thank you. She just spent-
0: If you've been following the show for a while, you know I'm a huge fan of Roadrunner CBD. I use all of their products. Seriously, I run through a tub of their muscle gel every couple of weeks because I'm in my 30s and everything hurts. Their balm is perfect for keeping my skin smooth and healthy, and I mix their CBD flower with every joint I roll to give my high that perfect equilibrium I'm always looking for. So to change your life with Roadrunner CBD's products, go to roadrunnercbd.com ref slash C-Y-S. Again, that's roadrunnercbd.com slash ref, R-E-F slash C-Y-S. And use the code CYS at checkout for 10% off. Trust me, you're going to want to try this out. Check them out today. Find us on social media. Check the link in your show notes or search for Jay Shiftman and Choose Your Struggle on any social media platform. All right. We've come to the end of another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Larry D. Mass. He is such a uh, legend in, in the advocacy world. It was an honor to chat with him. Um, you know, it was it was definitely worth doing the work to, to make the the audio issues we had the connectivity issues work, um, because he's just just uh, he's just done so much and and uh, it was just I feel very lucky to have had the opportunity to chat with him and learn from him. So thank you to Larry and thank you all for tuning in. We're going to go into the cards. We're going to use the train your brain card deck from Dr. Jennifer Sweeten. Um, And there are the cards. Here it is. This is from the feel calmer set. It's called he goo Meridian point. I guarantee I didn't say that right, but that's fine. The he goo. (laughs) Gu <laughs> meridian point is located in the soft spot, sometimes called the valley, between the thumb and the index finger. Firmly massaging this soft spot with the opposite hand has been shown to almost immediately reduce blood flow to amygdala amygdala, excuse me, which produces a calming experience. To feel calmer, consider practicing this technique for a couple minutes every time you feel stressed. Uh, I will try that. Sure. Why not? Um, you know, there's a lot about the body, obviously, that I don't understand. So uh, if Dr. Jennifer Sweeten says that works, then props to Dr. Jennifer Sweeten. All right. Your good egg for today is going to be a couple. Uh, please reach out. You know, now that we are live with the this year's birthday fundraiser, a little different than normal. Um, if you're interested, please reach out. It would mean a lot to me. It would mean a lot to Savage. Check out the ad for T public on my uh, Instagram uh, with with thank you to to Sarah Laurel uh, as my wonderful model. And uh, that's it. Those two check out the check out T public, buy some merch. And uh, if you're interested, reach out about the birthday fundraiser. But as always, be vulnerable, show
1: your empathy, spread your love and choose your struggle.